Hello and welcome to another episode of the Paddock Pass podcast. Uh, we are here um, in the valley of a uh, between some Austrian mountains after having uh, just driving back to Vienna after watching the uh, Austrian Grand Prix at the Red Bull Ring in Spielberg. It was quite the race, um, quite the facility, quite the scenery, quite the lots of things. With me as ever is my good friend and colleague, Neil Morrison, whose name I nearly forgot. Um, it's been a long week, David. It's been a long week. By God, it's been a long week. This motorcycle racing journalism malarkey is quite good fun, but um, sometimes you really long for your own bed. It was a fantastic race. Three men, clearly much, much better than the rest. Uh, but we saw that from practice, that it was going to be the two Ducatis versus Mark Marquez. In the end... It was Jorge Lorenzo making it three different Ducati winners in a row at the track. He handily held uh, uh, held off Mark Marquez on the last lap. Uh, Marquez made a mistake at turn three, and that was basically the race. It was um, it was a pretty good race. How did you see it, Neil? Yeah, I thought uh, the race that we witnessed just over a week ago at Brno pretty much told us that this is what we were going to see in Austria. Because if um, guys like Valentino Rossi and the Yamaha can't really get close to the top speed and acceleration of the Ducatis in Brno when they have the chance to take advantage of all those fast sweeping corners, then they're not really going to stand much chance in Austria when it's just a series of uh, point and squirt, uh, you know, straights, long straights and hairpins. So, uh, yeah, it was very, very, it's a great race, um, you know. Once again, you kind of have to doff your hat to Mark Marquez for taking the fight to Ducati. Basically, the only guy that could do so. And um, yeah, they were so far in front of the others that it was uh, it was a bit of a mockery, really, of the rest of the field. Um, and yeah, it was a, another great race from Lorenzo, riding really as well as uh, as he has for some time. And really what? aggressively again, same same as Bruno, really really aggressive riding. Yeah, and. Yeah, it was just interesting seeing the different strategies. Marquez said afterwards that uh, he tried to stretch the field apart from the very beginning in the hope that uh, one of the two Ducatis would fall away from the uh, the front-running pace um, because he realized in Brno that he couldn't fight two. He could try and challenge one, but two was just beyond, beyond possible. And uh, from there, Lorenzo was basically having to conserve his soft tires until the end. We thought Davizioso was doing the same thing, but uh, ultimately he didn't have the uh, the pace to run with him right to the checkered flag, which is quite a surprise. But, um, you know, another fantastic last lap. Um, you know, the second we've had in seven days and, yeah, two great races in the, the Red Bull ring the past two years. Yeah, I mean, it, it also looks a little bit like, um, well, especially uh, Davizioso, because Davizioso chose the medium tire. It was interesting seeing... Uh, a mixture of all three tyres with uh, Marquez on the hard, uh, Lorenzo on the soft and Dovi on the medium. Uh, Dovicioso afterwards said he thought the medium was uh, was a bit of a mistake. Yeah, it was interesting. We went to the... Uh, uh, every Saturday evening there's a debrief by Michelin boss Piero Terramasso talks to us about and uh, you know the tyres they've brought, all sorts of other things. And um, well, one of the questions asked was how come people don't like the, me- don't like the medium? And he said, well, it's sort of in between. It's not really, it's not really one thing or the, or the other. It has less grip than the soft and usually a little bit less durability than the, than the hard. So there's, very, there's a lot less advantage to be gotten from it. 
although it, you know it lasted the race and it worked it performed extremely it performed extremely well just not quite enough and i i thought also um dovey was a little bit unlucky in that um, he was with marquez and lorenzo and then um i think it was uh, marquez put uh, quite a stiff move on him and that knocked him back and dropped him out of reach of of lorenzo and marquez yeah, he certainly seemed a bit uh, peeved off, just as we saw Marquez uh, rather annoyed in the press conference after the race at Brno. Uh, Davizioso yesterday was the one that was, um, you could see, bristling, let's say. Um, he felt that that win was his, and all through free practice we certainly thought that that was going to be the case. Um, but uh, yeah, again, just like we witnessed earlier in the year at Jerez, passing Jorge Lorenzo was a ridiculously hard thing to do because off his late break in prowess, Um and he's kind of riding in a way which is clearly very, very difficult to, to overtake. And I mean, Davidsios was one of the latest breakers in the championship, but um, not even he had really an answer. And he was having to try and rework his lines to set up a clean overtaking move. But Lorenzo just wasn't really making any mistakes. And uh, in the end, he said, just because he was having to reposition himself and play around with his riding position, try different lines, he burnt that rear tire out. And... Um, yeah, it was quite quite a surprise to see. Also, it's worth saying that we lost two of the free practice sessions to uh, to Rin. Um, I think we were we were quite like uh, Tim Robbins' character in the Shawshank Redemption when the Rin finally arrived, you know, <laughs> on our knees, yeah. hands outstretched towards the heavens because it was such a, a wonderful relief after being basically suffocated <laughs> yeah. for uh, about a month over the summer. Um, but we did lose two free practice sessions to Rin, and Davizio also said, you know, that was ultimately the difference because they didn't get to have as much track time, dry track time, to assess fully the three rear tyre options that were available, and uh, that cost them in the end. Yeah, on the other hand, it was also, I mean, people were very happy to have had some wet track time because we've had, uh, I think, a sort of a half-and-half session at Argentina, and that's been the lot so far this year. We had proper, proper rain on um, uh, on Saturday afternoon, and then... Um, uh, Friday as well. Yeah, uh, sorry, yes, Friday afternoon, Saturday morning. It started off wet and was drying out a little bit so yeah i mean it, 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 they really needed to, they got some real a real idea of how the bikes are, uh, how the bikes are in the wet and, and all the rest it was also interesting seeing a subject we will come to later in the podcast we have some unusual names up front during uh, on uh, friday afternoon when the when it was proper wet scott redding um i think he finished second um that was that certainly sort of spiced things uh, spiced things up uh, uh, quite a bit um but yeah i mean coming back to the race uh it's interesting that mark can actually run with the run with the ducat he's definitely the only honda uh, cal crutchlow rode a brilliant but lonely race, but ended up what four or five seconds off the uh, uh, off of the winners in the end. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think we could, from you know, if Marquez was able to run with the guys last year, run with Dovizioso, and comprehensively outperform uh, Lorenzo in last year's race, then you know, knowing that Honda's engine this year is so much stronger, has higher top speeds, acceleration is really sorted out. Um, then you know, it was a no-brainer that he was going to be there. Um, and it was just interesting to see how his strategy would play. Um, but what I find more interesting, really, was uh, was Lorenzo's strategy. Because, you know, it was the second week in a row, really, where we had seen him struggling on Friday. Not really, yeah, kind of in terms of speed there, but pace quite a bit off Davizioso and Marquez. Um, and then just through, obviously, decent work. We've obviously got 
the kind of chemistry inside that garage working pretty well with him and uh, you know his crew chief Christian Gabarini, um, the other guys that are working there, technicians. Um, quite a bit away from the start of the year when got the impression everyone was a bit sick of him and his uh, his kind of theatrics. Um, but winning it, makes the difference. Yeah, exactly. When it makes a difference. Also, Jorge just studying and working on his weaknesses overnight. And we saw that at Mugello, where he said basically he knew he could run. I think it was the medium front tire at Mugello. Not really many others could. But to do so, he had to change his riding style, way, or he had to change the way he approached certain corners. And that was something he'd worked on from Saturday to Sunday, you know, studied it, uh, watching videos, looking at photographs, putting it into practice and warm up. And this was something that he did again here. Uh, all weekend long, he had been really slow. Well, comparatively really slow uh, in the third sector, losing, I think, a tenth, tenth and a half to Davizioso or Marquez. Um, that third sector, which can, contains the two lefts, and he admitted that he was struggling for confidence there. And uh, I was really quite amazed in the race that when he was reeling Marquez in, he was making up most of his time through there. Yeah. And he spoke about it afterwards, and he said, just through studying his riding position, looking at some of the, the, the data, the telemetry, uh, and watching, watching videos, video. yeah, yeah, and working on his own riding position, and you know, it's it's quite a remarkable thing that even at 31 years old, you know, he's still taking that care, taking that attention, self-improvement, I mean, it goes without saying that all these guys are doing this, um, but the fact that he's able to spot and identify what he's doing wrong and then put it into practice in such a short space of time yeah. is really quite something else, quite quite special. Um, and that, I think, along with his obvious aggression, um, was uh, was probably the most important thing. And, and to be honest, I think at the start of the race, just not panicking, because when Marquez was getting away, it would have been so easy to get a little bit flustered and think, oh, I wasn't expecting this, start making uh, needless mistakes, yet he kind of kept the, I think there was only maybe one or two laps where the gap exceeded one second. And he just kept at it, knowing that his chance would come later in the race. And that was in spite of him choosing the uh, the soft rear tire. So, yeah, compliments to, to Lorenzo, really. He got his strategy absolutely right and rode a beautiful race. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that both uh, Marquez and uh, Lorenzo had almost opposing strategies and in the end uh, Lorenzo it was Lorenzo's strategy where, where which won out but it's, it makes, certainly makes for I think more interesting racing because people are having to think about their approach and then try and stick to the plan and actually sticking to a plan is much much more difficult than um, it's so easy to get carried away especially if you see the gap opening to think I've got a push now or I'll lose, uh, lose touch with them actually keeping the patience keeping patience doing that is really difficult yeah and I heard um, Matthew Burt, one of the, the commentators for Dorna, uh, the commentators in the World Feed, saying over the weekend that he had spoken to Christian Gabarini, uh, Lorenzo's crew chief, and it took, they had to really sit Jorge down and convince him in Brno that the correct strategy was not to go like hell from the start and do yeah. his usual fast starting thing and try and build up a bit of a lead. So they were saying, if you do that, you're just going to burn your rear tire out completely. So you have to sit behind nurse it in certain parts of the race and not go like hell um, and he said it took quite some time for Jorge to become convinced about this you know he was sure that his way was the right way but yeah. by the end of you know their meeting and their sit down together he was he decided that that was the way to go and, and it paid off and you know again we're seeing him uh, approach races differently and win races differently you know there was certainly a kind of a Lorenzo style for about three or four years his last three or four years at Yamaha. Yeah. I mean, all those race wins in 2015 were flies yeah. the flag, 
get the whole shot and just run or run out of space. Here we're seeing a you know a kind of different side to his uh, his game. Yeah, but I mean those those uh, most of those wins came on Bridgestones, and the Bridgestones were yeah. completely different tyres. You know, the um, uh, the front would last to the end, the rear would well, the rear was rubbish. It started off rubbish and ended rubbish. So, but uh, you, um, it was uh, it was hard as rock, so you never actually got to got to use very much of it. So yeah, I mean it's uh, it, he's had he's had to adapt to the circumstances, and that's what you know we see that with Valentino Rossi. That's what great riders do. Great riders um, uh, study, learn and uh, find ways to improve improve themselves and beat the people around them. Yeah. And after Le Mans, that uh, listless display at Le Mans where he's beaten by both Pramac Ducati riders, um, you know, from Laurent, uh, from Mugello, uh, he's the guy that's accumulated the most points. Yeah. Um, so it just, it's great to see this, obviously, but there's also a sense of what could have been if he didn't have that early season meltdown during pre-season testing. Yeah, we really could be looking at a another epic championship between Marquez and Lorenzo that would go all the way because I'm, I'm sure that this is not going to be Lorenzo's last win of 2018. Apart from the fact that Mark seems to be uh, seems to be uh, gaining in the championship every single race, uh, managing to lose to the right person every time he loses, and you know, and win when he can. It really could. It really is quite an exciting, quite an exciting championship because there are so many different, uh, so many different winners, so many different combinations. Uh, as you say, if it hadn't been of um, um, Lorenzo's meltdown in Thailand, where he started riding the 2017 bike, completely lost his way, didn't feel comfortable, and also maybe if um, uh, Ducati had figured out earlier a way of allowing Lorenzo to support himself in braking. Uh, then yeah, that's that's that, that that could have been very very different. It's also interesting that the two Ducatis are now using the two different uh, the two different frames, which we talked about I think in the last uh, in the last postcard after the test that WTS has gone back to the old frame, which is more stable, and uh, Lorenzo has gone on to the new frame, which is less stable uh, less stable in braking but more flexible. And um, you have to say Sunday proved uh, proved proved Lorenzo right. You would say yeah, you would absolutely, um, and. It's not often that you see Davizioso as frustrated as he was. Um, in fact, two years ago, I guess, at this track when he was beaten by Andrea Giannone, yeah. his then teammate, uh, who he really didn't like, just as he doesn't really like this uh, current teammate. Um, that was another example or another time when you could see that he was quite raw with uh, with emotion. And it seemed that, uh, he, I don't know, I'm maybe reading a little bit too much into it, but I got the impression he was a little bit put out by Marquez's move at the first on the first lap at turn three. And uh, yeah, it was nothing too serious. But for guys that have been nothing, uh, nothing but amiable uh, throughout really their their time in the in the top class, there was maybe a small little sign that um, one or two very very uh, a little bit of needle. Yeah, a little needle. Um, yeah. By the end of the press conference, there was an absolutely magnificent scene at the end of the co- uh, press conference where um, Andrea Dovizioso was walking through Mark Marquez's last lap and explaining exactly what was uh, uh, what was going wrong. In part, and the mistakes that Marquez has made, had made and why Lorenzo had won, and that was you know in part because he was asked in question, but it was also um, just a little message to Mark: Don't think I haven't been watching you. Uh, I know where your strengths are. I know where your weak- weaknesses are, and I can beat you when I need to. That wasn't this weekend, but it might be. Uh, but, but it might well be another weekend. I think. I, I wonder also if some of the needle 
which we saw between Marquez and, and Dovicioso was because of the, I mean, there's been a bit of a war of words between Lorenzo and, and Dovicioso in the press uh, recently. What seems to happen is one of them gets interviewed and sort of um, slags off the other one. And then it used to be the other way. Dovi's interviewed and then Lorenzo's, Dovicioso's comments are put to Lorenzo and yeah. he then gives a quite uh, a witty reply. Yes, that's right. And then, um, and then Lorenzo's re- remarks are put to Dovicioso and you get the same sort of thing. And there was a, um, very good interview by, uh, Nadia Troncioni in, um, in El Pais with Dovicioso in which he basically sort of said, what, Lorenzo didn't know how to play the press. He was, he was getting played by journalists and, um, he was he, paranoid. Yeah, exactly. And he doesn't, uh, Dovicioso never plays mind games because he doesn't need to. That's, that's not his type. And, of course, he wanted Miller and Petrucci, either Miller or Petrucci, as a teammate because at the point in time where they were choosing uh, who would be his teammate, then, you know, Dovici or Lorenzo just hadn't delivered on results. So it was, um, yeah, it was, it was certainly an interesting, uh, uh, interesting interview and one filled with lots of, uh, again, lots of needle. Yes hidden barbs <laughs> yes indeed right well a couple more quick remarks Marquez finished second uh, on the Honda but he was still a long way ahead of uh, uh, of Crutchlow so it really does seem like it's Marquez who's making the difference on the Honda Crutchlow ran a outstanding race superb race um, uh, felt he chose I think he felt he chose the right tyres uh, did everything right but just no way he could stay to uh, stay with the um, uh, stay with the Hondas or stay with Marquez uh Danilo Petrucci finished fifth, felt he would been penalised by uh, his weight, the fuel, used the tyres too much. Um, also sort of said, you know, I'm, I'm in training almost for, for next year when he gets on the factory bike. Um, which, if you look at it, it's, it's, if, if we're going to go by Buggins' turn, then it should be, uh, it should be Petrucci winning next year because, uh, everyone on the factory, everyone on the factory, uh, on the factory Ducati has had a, has had a go and, um, uh, it'll be Petrucci's turn next year. So we'll see. But, uh, I think he might have a bit more problem, uh, uh, a bit more of a problem than, than Jorge Lorenzo did this week. But, um, Valentino Rossi finished sixth at the Red Bull Ring which was actually a truly remarkable uh, performance given the miserable weekend he'd had. Qualifying 14th, coming through the field uh, to, to finish 6th was a fantastic performance, but Yamaha had an absolute unmitigated disaster at Red Bull Ring. I think I don't think... I don't think there are. Uh, I don't. You can possibly exaggerate how badly it went there. Yeah, yeah. Not just on track. Um, on track, of, off track, everywhere. Yeah, everything kind of seemed to be um, not in order, and sort of the, the strange press conference that they give during the rider debriefs on Saturday after I think the team's worst qualifying in dry conditions since two thousand and seven um, was one that painted a picture of internal chaos and people pulling in different ways and um, yeah, no real structure um, no clear idea of how to manage the manage the kind of madness that we saw um, it was very strange I mean yeah from the very start I mean it's worth saying that this of all the layouts on the on the Grand Prix calendar this was going to be the one that exposed the weaknesses of this year's M1 to the full um, because from the very start, they've spoken of difficulty with 
acceleration from low speed corners obviously managing the rear tire in such instances hasn't been their strong suit nor have the electronics of the bike um, and so it proved I think it was quite surprising to see just how far uh, through the weekend away Mark um, Vinales was um, yeah. he was having different mechanical issues with sensors or according to Yamaha that's what the, that's partly what the issues were and uh, Rossi was um, you know Rossi had a machine failure in FP1 yeah in FP1 the only dry session and he had a sprocket break and they had to jump on a second bike which was set up with a completely different set which they wanted to try out but it meant that left him out of uh, because that was the only dry session that left him out of uh, out of Q2 yeah Exactly, he couldn't get through Q1 and qualified 14th. Vinales was 12th. Um, if we thought Vinales looked miserable throughout the weekend at, uh, at Brno, then we were in for a treat for this weekend. Yeah. He <laughs> <laughs> was at new kind of uh, levels of uh, anger and mildiness. Dis disengagement. Yes. With our uh, line of questioning. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it didn't, it didn't go well. And then we had the very strange instance on Saturday afternoon we went to go and see Rossi and Vinales and uh, William Favreau the head of communications for uh, Movie Star Yamaha Squad came out and basically said that um, they were offering an apology to both their riders and uh, project leader Koji Suja, Suya sorry, um, was on hand to offer an apology to the riders um, for I guess Yamaha's negligence to fix the problems uh, they complained of for so long and it was just uh, very strange. What did you make of it, David? It was very strange. It was, well, on the, on the one hand, some people said it's quite typical because you have seen, so for example, we see we saw some years ago, after a dismal result, um, the president of Sony offering a um, uh, an abject apology, and, you know, crying and, and, and apologizing. So yes, and certainly wasn't crying, but he was very contrite. But on the other hand, so I spoke to some, a, uh, a Japanese journalist and some and some other uh, Japanese contacts I have, and they said it was a very very un-Japanese spectacle uh, to come forward and apologise for um, uh, actually apologise to the riders in front of uh, in front of the media. Uh, Honda, for example, HLC is. is taken they've sort of taken responsibility for not making the best bike but it's never been you know we have to apologize to our riders it's just that yeah we think we could have done it better uh, which is a little bit different but it was it was strange in that we came to Austria Rossi was second in the championship and Vinales was fourth yeah um Rossi wasn't a million miles away from the podium and Vinales probably would have been in the top six in Brno had he not been taken out in the yep. first lap. Um, both guys were on the podium in the previous race. Uh, Movistar Yamaha are leading the team championship. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously, it's not been a fantastic year because they're, neither rider is really in the championship hunt and hasn't been able to win a race. Um, but it does, I think, show you that for a team and a manufacturer that's used to winning as much as that team and that manufacturer are, whenever it gets to 20 races without a win you know the the pressure really starts to show and the fault lines are are very evident yeah you know, and the kind of the splits that are maybe between uh technicians the riders uh, communications the management um and yeah it does seem that there's uh several different directions being pulled 
in yeah. to try and uh, get this uh, get this Yamaha squad out of the mess. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I spoke to uh, Lynn Jarvis and Maya Marigali after the uh, after the press con- after that press conference, and they were very open and honest about it, and sort of said, "Yeah, they, we've we've you know we've made a mistake." And I said, "Is it part of it be- because?" Everything is so close because of the new technical regulations. Everything really is close, which is made for fantastic racing. And it means that, you know, when things are close, um, it's much easier to get a bad result uh, because, you know, there's only a, a tenth or maybe two tenths a, a lap between success and failure. And they said, yeah, that, that's true. But, you know, we're, we're Yamaha. Yeah. We should be, uh, if Honda and Ducati are winning, we should be winning. So that it's, was. It's not acceptable. Yeah, it's just basically it's not acceptable. I mean, yeah. it's ac- it's uh, sort of it's a shame, but acceptable if they can't win the championship every yeah. year, uh, every year. That's racing. Yeah. But not winning a race for now twenty one races. That's uh, that's. Yeah, there, there are two ways two ways to look at it. They're leading the team championship, and they've had some good results this year. Rossi. Sticking the pack- package consistently to its maximum. Yeah, um, been on the podium plenty of times. Yeah, five times I think this year to sit second in the championship. But then when you look at their previous long losing streaks in the history of of Premier class, I mean, there's the end of 2002, all of 2003, and essentially their their factory riders that year were Alex Barros and Carlos Jacob, both good riders, but you wouldn't say. Yeah, not 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 all the, you, not all time legends. No, not, not the rider generally uh, or, or most commonly referred to as the greatest of all time. Exactly, and then when you go back to their previous uh, losing streak, which let's face it, the guys are probably going to surpass this year. Yeah, um, if things keep going as they are, uh, which is uh, all of '97 and uh, the first half of '98, and you look again at their uh, their factory riders then. And I think you had uh, Norik Abbey. Um, you had, I think, Sete Gibernau. I mean, they're not, again, not all-time grids. And, yep. you know, Rossi and Vinales are two, easily two of the best riders in the grid. Yeah. Two of the best top five or six, I think, without question. Yes. Um, so, yes, that, that does show that there is an issue. Yeah. That it's gone this long. Because we've visited plenty of tracks in this 21 race losing streak where the Yamaha works well and those guys love the tracks like Phillip Island, Assen, yeah. um, Silverstone last year, they didn't win there, Mugello, um, Catalonia, I mean there's been ample opportunity, Qatar, I mean, yes. you know, plenty of opportunity for them to, 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 to get this right uh, or, to, or to even just get lucky Yeah, and they haven't. Yeah. In a way, it's not quite fair counting races because you know the, the the calendar is a lot fuller now than it was certainly in '97 because yeah. there would have been what 14 or 15 races. Yeah. 2003, I think there were 15 or 16 races. Uh, so perhaps you, sh- you should look at uh, sort of duration rather than number of races. But even then, yeah. this Cal- is yeah. this is just a terrible. This is truly a terrible. Uh, it's a terrible streak. Yeah. I think Cadaloro. He was another name that was uh, one of yeah. their riders back in '97. And yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yes, it's uh, it's not going well, and it does make you wonder when when they're going to find a way out of this. Are we already looking at them um, basically just having to prepare for, for 2019? Um, it is interesting because electronics have been an issue that's been spoken of for about a year now, probably even more. Um, Rossi did say on Sunday after our uh, our fine colleague Peter McLaren asked him whether he thought it was just 
the electronics that were at fault or whether the engine was partly at fault. And he said that, you know, maybe uh, the engine design is something that is um, is at fault as well. And that would obviously explain the fact that they haven't really been able to uh, to make this a great deal better this year. Obviously, the engine is frozen from the first race. and um, yeah, We saw this with Suzuki last year. Yeah. where they got their engine design wrong over the winter and then they were stuck with it for the entire yeah. year and, and, and this, there was just nothing they could do with it. Yeah, we saw uh, this with Honda in, what, 15? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it is, it is something that can happen. Um, but it does it does show you, because I remember back at Sepang at the first test, um, Vinales Crucci from Onfrakada was interviewed about the new engine and he said that he felt it would... It, it was designed in such a way to aid the... Um, the kind of the, the managing of a rear tyre over a race distance, but it doesn't seem that that's the case. No, exactly. I mean, maybe it was a step in the right direction, but it wasn't the right di- uh, direction. And really what we should be doing is um, uh, going back and finding out who chose the engine because, you know, they gave it to the riders, they gave it to the crew chiefs, and they um, should have... Um, uh, this is something they should have been able to, t- to test over, over winter testing, but they um, clearly, yeah, they've yeah. Chosen, chosen the wrong tyre. Yeah, they were in a mess though in the preseason. Yeah. Um, what you have to say that they've done in recent weeks is they've got that sa- chassis sh- sorted out. Um, it seems to be a really good chassis now. Yeah, they it said, makes you wonder one, if they yeah. do get the engine sorted out, then yeah. by God, that is going to be a hell of a weapon next year. Because if you remember back in Thailand, they were still going between 16, 17, 18 chassis. Yeah. And it seems now that in terms of general setup of the bike, it's, it's okay. They're not bringing new chassis to every weekend like they were last year. It's just this electronics and acceleration issue, which is the problem. Yeah. So it seems to be a clearer idea compared to, I remember, do you remember the Valencia test last yes. year? It was like, what, what is wrong? Why yeah. is the bike reacting so differently in different yeah. temperatures and different grip levels? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I remember all last year, all we were talking about was, uh, you know, the, about the chassis being, being wrong and why it didn't work and, uh, and all the rest of it. Yeah. And Rossi said uh, that, you know, he said yeah. he feels the base of the bike is pretty good. Yeah. It's just about, um, they're about improving this level. So, uh, yes. Um, Silverstone, obviously, next track should offer both Rossi and Vinales a good chance of, uh, of certainly the podium. Yeah. Um, but, uh, Dovizioso's rec- record there last year. Lorenzo's great at Silverstone. Marquez is just fantastic everywhere now. Yeah. Crutchlow, you have to imagine, is going to be there. I mean, a podium's not even a given at, at Silverstone. Even, even Petrucci. Petrucci is, uh, has had decent results there. Um, yeah, in the wet. A, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he also said he won a super stock race back in super stock when he's racing super stock. So it suits him this, this whole bunch. But what can the Suzuki's do there? You know, I mean, that could be really interesting. Uh, Yamaha are off to Mazana with a, a lot of the other, um, uh, factories, uh, for a test, uh, this, uh, this coming weekend. And after Silverstone, they're going to Aragon. Um, from what I understand from Lynn Jarvis and Maya Marigali, they have a solution for 2019 uh, to test at Misano, which to me sounds like a new engine uh, because they can't use it for the rest of this year. Uh, and there's only one thing which you can't use for this year, and that's um, uh, the, well, well, there are two things which are frozen. One of them is aerodynamics, and the other one is engine. But given that their problem is engine, you've got to think that that's what what they'll be testing. Um, uh, Aragon, they'll be trying, so they'll be fixing some people for, or they'll be fixing some bits and pieces which they think might be able to help for the rest of the season. Uh, but again, that's after Silverstone, and Silverstone would have been a fantastic chance if these parts had worked to actually make a difference and i saw also in the italian press this morning that they'd hired a uh, michele gada i think is, uh, is the 
person's name, uh, Italian electronic specialist who's been working in the World Superbike. So, because they've got to work on their electronics, they've got to do something, Neil. They've got to do something. Um, yes, excuse the poor jokes. Right. Um, uh, we turn our attentions to another failing factory, um, one which is actually failing much worse, Aprilia. After the race at the Red Bull Ring, Scott Redding had some, uh, how can we put this? Colourful. He was, he was not, um, he didn't hold back, he did, certainly didn't pull any punches. He went pretty well all in on the chaos, which is uh, Aprilia, that nothing that they try has, uh, has worked. Uh, that they just keep on running into one uh, one problem after another. That the team is in chaos, and um, and apart from that, everything is fine. <laughs> yeah, and Alicia Spargro, in less colourful language, slightly more diplomatic tone, also told us of the issues at hand, um, which yeah. suggested that yes, there are very very serious issues there. Yeah, ex- I mean, what are they? Um, there seems to be, yeah. I don't know, there seems to be a disconnect. I mean, you listen to what Espargaro says. He says there's not a very good front-end feeling with the bike. He feels that, um, I mean, over the last couple of race weekends, many of the riders have said that although the profile and the construction of Michelin's tyres this year, of the front tyre, are exactly the same, uh, the compounds are very, very slightly different. And each bike seems to react a little bit differently to them. And he feels that this could be one of the reasons why he doesn't have that front-end confidence that he had last year, and that was one of his real strong points. He could break late, deep into the corner. said it was one of the best feelings he had ever had in a motorcycle um, in 2017, this was. Um, and they've, uh, yeah, they've kind of just fallen behind the, uh, fallen behind the rest. Um, it hasn't been helped by continued mechanical issues. Uh, there seems to be quite a lot of that. There seems to be issues regarding how the team works, how they work towards the race. Um, I know there has been uh, some uh, friction between Romano Albaciano, who's uh, the head of uh, Aprilia Racing, and uh, Fausto Grassini, who's the team owner. Grassini is a very experienced team manager and wants to manage the team, just run the team. But Albaciano is trying to run the team and run the racing department and uh, Grassini basically wants him to get on just manage the racing department and leave the, to- the running of the team to him um, it's hard to see well it's hard not to agree with him just from the way that things have been running because they seem the other thing is look at Alicia's uh, Alicia Spargaro's reliability record um, or unreliability record we should say he seems to he seems to finish well he seems to be you know pull out of races with mechanical problems more often than he finishes yeah there was a I think it was a Hareth an instance when he felt he could have been fighting for top six for sure maybe even the podium after the Lorenzo De Vizioso Pedroza crash uh, but he, his engine went pop on the first lap um and from what Scott Redding was saying yesterday, uh, we're recording this on Monday after the race. Uh, on Sunday, Redding was saying that there's just a myriad of issues. He said he's kind of kept quiet recently because he's obviously in the running to be a British test, test rider next year. That appeared to be an option he was taking quite seriously. Not sure if he's still taking it seriously or whether that option will even be open to him after his comments yesterday. Um, but he said 
different issues with suspension, like not even putting in the right suspension setting for the race, um, different things going wrong. And yeah, yeah the, the, the test being uh, very disorganized. First, it was going to be three days and then two days and then one day. Yeah, yeah the testing at Mizano uh, this Sunday between um, the Red Bull Ring and Silverstone. And first, yeah, they said it was going to be a three day test so they could, um, you know, they could really try and work through all these issues. And it's been cut back to one day. That was a source of frustration as well. Um, and he was just saying that basically this is a factory MotoGP team. These kind of things should not be happening yeah. in a factory MotoGP team. Um, it does sound quite similar to what we heard Sam Lowe saying last year. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I spoke to, I did an interview with Alicia Spargo back in Assen. And he said that he was, he fully agreed with uh, Albesiano's claim that they need to find the proper working method. And that's something you expect a factory team to have nailed like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it's not as if really has, haven't had some success in yeah. racing series. Yes, exactly. Um, and from what here, there's going to be quite an, a big internal reorganization in terms of personnel next year. Spargo's crew chief is going to KTM to work with Johan Zarco. They're obviously going to get some new faces in. A few names have been uh, touted around. Um, not sure who's going to follow in, uh, follow um, Andre Iannone in there. Um, but yeah, last year, Aprilia were consistently showing top six potential. In fact, they got top six at Qatar. Uh, I think they were less than eight seconds off the race when at Aragon. Some really outstanding performances for a factory of that size. Um, but they've fallen well back this year. And Spargro seems to be at a bit of a loss to, to explain what's going on. Yeah, I mean, he said, you know, um, uh, he's as fit as he's ever been. Literally fit as a butcher's dog. There isn't a scrap of fat on him, and he, um, like Cal Crutchlow, he goes out cycling with uh, with professional cycle racers. So you know he's in he's in very good physical condition. Um, he's in he's you know relaxed. He's mentally in a good place, especially since becoming a father. That sort of relaxed him uh, relaxed him a lot. Um, but still, there's really yeah. I mean, there is there's really no excuse for these. For the for, for for the issues, yeah. and I think the mechanical problems are just the sort of the uh, the, the the it's just scratching the surface. They're sort of the tip of the iceberg, um, uh, the the visible tip which we can see, and beneath the uh, and beneath it there seems to be going an or you know, an awful lot of things seem to be going pretty terribly wrong. Yes, um, and any time that they have been able to show potential this year, I think it's one thing that really eats away at a Spargo. When they have the potential, it's undone by some silly mistake. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that must be extremely frustrating, and I think that's you know that, that's probably the most frustrating thing of all. Yeah, but when you speak to Albesiano, he's pretty sure that the bike is a big upgrade on last year, and oh. that and that's what's slightly perplexing. Yeah, yeah. Well, it may well be a uh, big upgrade on last year, but if it's not finishing, or if you're not sort of you know putting the package together, getting the whole thing working, then. Um, then there's no benefit to being a uh, to being a, a, an upgrade on last year. Yes, right. Where do you where do Aprilia go from here? I mean, do they do they have to wait for the reorganisation to get things back on track again? Um, well, they obviously don't have so many. Um, there are a lot obviously to develop their engine through the year. They don't have that freeze that uh, Suzuki, Ducati, Honda, and Yamaha have. Um, they have those concessions. So there is talk of a new engine arriving at uh, one of these upcoming tests, possibly at Mizano. Um, so yes, there is a chance that. Uh, things could get a lot better before the end of the year. Um, last year, looking back, I think um, Alice was up 
with that leading group at uh, Phillip Island. Uh, he was fourth, I think. Did he qualify fourth in the wet at Mategi? Yeah. Uh, Aragon was a great race for him as well. So, yeah, there are tracks that should suit the bike if they can get it all together. Yeah. Um, but everything just so, does seem to, seem to be in a bit of uh, bit of chaos at the moment. And yeah. um, for him to do that, he really needs to drastically find, refine some feeling with the front end and the usual issues with uh, mechanical gremlins need to disappear. Yeah, it seems most more that it's a question of organizational. Uh, it's an organizational issue rather than specifically a technical uh, a technical incompetence, as it were. Uh, technically, you know, the bike is fast. And as you say, it's had good results. It's just that they have to put it all together. Right, well, winners and losers, Neil. Who was your big winner this weekend? Well, several names, Dave. I thought that Cal Crutzel rode a really splendid race. Uh, he's had a lot of those recently, um, running in the top six. Must be hard for him not consistently being close to or on the podium, because um, that's obviously where he feels he should be. Um, but he has just missed out two occasions. But still, fourth place was a really, really solid ride, taking, I think, that bike and his package to, to pretty much the maximum. And he's been consistently smashing Danny Pedrosa this year. Um, but I think I'm going to have to go for uh, Jorge Martin, um, Moto3 championship contender, who broke uh, the radius bone in his left wrist free uh, practice at Brno on the Friday. Uh, he went back to Barcelona, I think on a Friday night, I had an operation on a Saturday and then was back in Austria, uh, ready for FP1 on Friday morning. And I think he only did something like 11 laps on Friday. Incredibly managed to qualify second on Saturday. You thought, okay, well, these are just one-off laps or a handful of laps put together. But for him to go the whole race and to finish third, uh, I think he was half a second off the eventual race winner, Marco Bezzecchi. It was a quite extraordinary, uh, uh, human effort, um, and showed, yeah, showed that mentally he is prepared to really put everything into this racing game. Um, and for someone, you know, 20, I think Jorge is now, um, that is really quite impressive. Um, it was a, it was an astonishing showing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he redeemed him, certainly redeemed himself for it because the mistake at Bruneau was a stupid mistake, uh, and he comes back, does extremely well, gets his uh, gets third place in um, Austria after just an incredibly brave performance. I think I think that definitely counts as redeeming yourself. I saw the uh, Spanish press were calling him the Martinator. Fairly amusing, I think. But uh, yeah, yes, um, a couple of things that were, were really impressive were. Um, the Red Bull Ring, in terms of Moto3, the Red Bull Ring is certainly a KTM track, not just is it its home track, but the character of the, the KTM Moto3 bike is much more suited to that than the Honda, which Martin rides. It's a real punchy engine. They had some engine upgrades earlier this year at Le Mans, and since then it's definitely been the fastest bike on the grid. Um, and for a large part of that race, Martin was the only Honda rider taking yeah. it to the KTMs. I think he was in a group of four guys, it was a group of four and all the other, the three other bikes were, were KTMs. Um, and he said he was having the greatest issues in the left-handed corners. So that was the third sector of the track with the two left-handers, uh, turn six and seven. And, um, there was one point when he dropped a little bit back of eventual winner and championship challenger, Marco Bezzecchi. Um, and whenever he was, reeling him in he was making up most of his time through that sector through the left-handers in sector three 
So he was completely compartmentalizing his pain, putting it to one side and, and managing to uh, extract a ridiculous level of focus from himself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a special ride. Yeah. And um, it was notable to see several of the MotoGP riders um, riding on Twitter just how amazed they were by his performance. And whenever guys at that level are, are looking down to the junior class and seeing that, then you think, oh, okay, this was something quite special. You've got to think it's also, um, it would have intimidated Marco Bezzecchi quite a lot as well, because Bezzecchi had um, pro- benefited hugely from Martin's absence in Bruneau. Um, won the race, extends his championship lead, but still, you worry. When you see that happen, you really have to start to... Uh, get a little bit scared by 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 the man's mental strength. I would agree with you, but Bezeki doesn't really strike me as a guy that gets intimidated <laughs> by anything. Honestly, that's, he really that's doesn't. Fair comment, that yeah, really is. He's two yeah. years younger. Um, this is only his second full Grand Prix campaign. No one expected him to be in this position. Yeah. So whatever he does from now, it's going to be a successful season. He's already secured his future for next year. I spoke to Hervé Poncherel on uh, Sunday night, and Hervé was really really excited about about Bezeki. Yeah, KTM think the world of him. He could have been anywhere he wanted to be apart from KTM's Moto GP squad obviously yeah. but he had his pick of Moto 3 seats um, and KTM were willing to do whatever they could to accommodate him in Moto 2 and he, yeah he was you know rather than seem intimidated he was congratulating Martin you know he was saying that was an incredible job yeah. I think he called him El, El Toro the, yeah. the bull for his kind of efforts so um, yeah I can see I don't I, I really don't think I'll see we'll see uh, Bezeki get that flummoxed by, uh, by that performance I think he'll it's going to be a great championship that'll go right the way. Yeah. Um, that is a very fine nomination. Um, uh, hard to disagree with that, really. But, I mean, for me, um, the big winner coming out of the Red Bull ring is uh, Mark Marquez once again. Um, he's so second. original. <laughs> very original. Uh, well, I think that's number... That's his fourth or fifth second place. Uh, um, when he doesn't win, he comes second or... You know, doesn't score points. He's, he's third, fourth? Third. Third. He's third, um, sec- uh, second place. He either finishes second or he finishes third or he wins. And once again, uh, you know, who's second of the championship? Valentino Rossi. Rossi has a, uh, uh, has a bad day. Um, I mean, he has an outstanding day for the situation he was in, but, uh, Marquez gets uh, championship points on him. It's Jorge Lorenzo who wins, who's losing to, who loses points to, and Lorenzo is the furthest back in the championship. Uh, Dovicioso who, uh, certainly the way that, um, Marcus is speaking, he's speaking as Dovicioso is his main title rival, uh, as the man he's most afraid of. But he's, he's got another four points on, um, on Dovicioso. So yeah, he comes out of that. If your goal is to win the championship, then this was just an outstanding weekend. Even though Marquez was absolutely gutted not to win here because he came to the Red Bull, to the Red Bull ring. He's a Red Bull athlete, has been all his life. Um, uh, he wanted to win here. This is the only track he hasn't won at, um, uh, well, bar. Uh, Thailand of course but nobody has won at Thailand yet but uh, this is the only track he hasn't won at he wants to win here uh, he felt the bike was good enough to win uh, he was good enough to win but um, uh, he couldn't pull it off so yeah he was he was annoyed about that uh, but he's still walking away he's you know he's even closer to, to closer to the championship eight races left and was his 59 points I think this how do you how do you stop that how do you how do you stop that yeah, you can't. Yeah, his riding in the first half of the race in particular was really excellent. Yeah. Uh, being able to build up that gap, not make any mistakes. Um, 
yeah, it was a, just another fantastic weekend. And everywhere we've gone this year, he's been, if not the fastest guy, the second fastest guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. he's, uh, yeah, he's. It's, it's a textbook. It's a textbook uh, uh, demonstration of how you win a championship. Because I mean, this is what uh, this is what he learned in 2015 that winning a championship is better than winning races. Um, so yeah, he's going to. It's probably financially a little bit more attractive as well for him. Uh, certainly, that's certainly where I would be structuring his um, uh, his contract if I were his manager. Things are looking very good for him, and it's looking more and more like he might be able to wrap it up even before we go um, overseas if if he keeps on taking points from the people that matter. Yes. Right, so that's uh, winners. Who's who's your loser? Ooh, yeah, it's hard to look beyond Yamaha. Really, bad weekend, desperate qualifying. Rossi works his magic and rescues the situation in the race, but but only sixth. I yeah. mean, you know, has a fantastic race and rescues the situation to finish sixth. <laughs> it's not a good look. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, Sarko wasn't even really able to make a, a a fantastic race like he did here last year. Um, and this is one of his favorite tracks as well. Um, and Vinales was just, you know, nowhere all weekend. Yeah. You know, not even could he do anything that impressive at the end of the race. Uh, Zarco was ninth at the end of it. Vinales was back in 12th. Um, and I mean, we expected him to struggle here, no doubt, but, uh, for them to, to struggle to the extent they did and their, their management of the situation, the, another, you know, they had the Fracada situation with Vinales at Brno, which, showed us all a little insight what it's the atmosphere is like inside that that garage and everyone pulling in different directions again this sort of apology that we saw on saturday was confusing and strange and wondered what the the thinking was behind it who was requesting it um whose idea it was lots of uh, questions that are at the moment unanswered um yeah i think yeah it was another it was just a bit of a mess really and uh yeah it's I could see them going until the end of the season without winning the race, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's absolutely not a good look, and the and it's sort of revealing of the chaos which uh, seems to be around um, uh, around Yamaha. Uh, I will go with a slightly different factor. I have to go with Aprilia because at least you have to believe that um, the worst case scenario for Yamaha is that uh, they will be much better next year, and they'll be sort of you know out of the out of the depths. Uh, in in 2019, whereas uh, things are not really looking much better uh, for Aprilia at all. Um, there still seems to be the organisational chaos. The bike is still uh, limited in a certain way. Alessia Spargaro can't get um, uh, the feeling with the front that he wants. Uh, the power delivery is extremely aggressive. Uh, it uses uh, uses a lot of fuel. Um, they they have. A litany of mechanical failures every time they get close to being quick then something goes wrong and it takes that out uh, they're working their way through riders uh, you know that Sam Lowe's who they didn't want and were basically sort of you know palmed him off with a rubbish bike for for most of last year and then uh, they got Scott Redding in this year and decided basically before the season had even started that they regretted signing um, uh, Scott Redding so it's not there's no there doesn't appear to be any sort of method to what they're doing. Uh, next year they get Andrea Iannone, that notably even-keeled, calm-tempered uh, uh, gentleman, uh, who I'm sure will 
face all issues with equanimity and his usual calmness. Um, uh, so yeah, it's it 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 doesn't look like things are going to get a great deal better next year. So yeah, I mean Yamaha are in deep trouble, um, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. Whereas you can be fairly certain that the only light at the end of the tunnel for Aprilia is um, uh, a uh, nice great big freight train. <laughs> yes, and repeated slaggings off in the public by uh, Andrea Iannone. Yes, yes. Oh, yes, yes, that's right. In, in the Italian media, it won't be us, the English-speaking media, who the team owner uh, or the, the factory owner doesn't read. It's going to be in all of the top Italian press every week, week in, week out, which is uh, not going to be great. They need to fix something because it's hard to see how Aprilia have a future in this championship unless they start getting results. Yeah. Right, well, I think that's about it. We covered most of the bases. Thank you very much, uh, listeners, for listening to us. If you are not following us on the social medias, we are on Twitter, uh, at Paddock Pass Pod. We are on the Facebook, at facebook.com slash Paddock Pass Podcast. Make sure if you um, download this from a particular podcast service provider, make sure you rate it and rate us and leave us a review, a good one or a bad one, though obviously we would prefer a good one um, that helps other people find us and we hope to have some interesting news about the podcast in the near future but uh, uh, stay peeled we uh, you never know what's going to or uh, what's going to happen um, enjoy that and we hope to speak to you soon JB if you could maybe like edit the part where I tripped up over my words before that hilarious joke to actually make me sound quite funny. To make uh, you sound witty. Yeah, and not like a mong. Uh, that would be much appreciated. I swear my levels will be consistent from here on in, if you can do that. You scratch my back, mm. I scratch yours. Yeah, added some kind of laughter as well over the back of it. That would actually be quite funny. <laughs>